Hello and welcome to Made to Measure, the podcast of the Journal of Trading Standards. In this episode, we'll be hearing about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected the UK's housing sector from the beginning of lockdown early in 2020 through to the situation in the summer of 2021, as things hopefully start to return to some kind of normality. Alison Farrer, one of CTSI's lead officers for property and lettings, talks us through the many angles of the knock-on effects of the crisis on housing and the many scenarios in which tenants and landlords, as well as property buyers and sellers, have had their plans disrupted by the events of the past year. These include things like financial hardship, the challenges of video viewings, scams perpetrated by fraudsters seeking to exploit the crisis, and the practices followed by a handful of unscrupulous estate agents. Alison also looks ahead at the potential issues arising from the growth in homeworking as people leave big cities to start a new life in the country and discover they may not be getting quite what they bargained for. To keep on top of this, she offers some advice to other trading standards professionals about what they should be keeping an eye out for in the coming months. She kicked things off by giving a quick overview of her job and talking about the key legislation in the property and lettings sector. My name's Alison Farrer. I'm lead officer for the Chartered Trading Standards Institute for property, but I'm also lead officer for consumer education. My day job is I'm the operations manager for the National Trading Standards Estate and Letting Agents team. Um, But my lead officer role is something I do over and above my day job. We work in the team that deals with estate agents through the UK and letting agents in England. But that doesn't mean that we would exclude the rest of the country either. So we're there to give advice to trading standards professionals. We're there to give advice to um, anybody who needs it, really, on property matters, point them in the right direction, make sure we've got the signposting right, and make sure that we're working with industry and any other appropriate stakeholders to highlight any issues or to discuss any upcoming matters that people need to pass forward. Traditionally, trading standards officers didn't used to deal with any of this. Quite a lot of the time, if you've got a problem about an estate agent, then you'd say, oh, that's property law. It's not something we deal with. Go to your solicitor. But actually, when the Consumer Protection from Unfair Trading Regulations came in, what we call the CPRs, then those regulations talk about any trader doing anything to any consumer. So we we look at misleading statements, misleading emissions, aggressive practices, banned practices, all of those, what we call trading standards, bread and butter work, really. When you look at a contract between an estate agent and their customer, their client, then that is a contract that is going to be caught by the CPRs. The actual property sale and the legalities of that is a completely separate thing to the contract between the estate agent and their client, normally the person who's selling the house. But also what we've got to remember as well is the CPRs call clients or customers, prospective customers of that business, prospective customers, people window shopping, people actually shopping. So we've got the potential buyers of the property who are also caught by the terms of the consumer under the CPRs. And therefore, that contract and the work that that estate agent does is now something that trading standards can look at. When we look at lettings, then the legislation, um, what, what we enforce in my day job is the Tenant Fees Act in England. 
but there's an awful lot more legislation around letting agents. Obviously, there's quite a lot of stuff that that housing and environmental health, private sector housing officers would be dealing with, as well as trading standards officers. But some of the things, for example, the publication of fees stuff come in under the Consumer Rights Act. So that also brings in trading standards officers. And one of the challenges we've got actually is to try and marry up all that information to look at that collaborative work. Um, Because what we've discovered is that there's not one enforcing body looking at this in, they can't just have one person looking at it. You possibly need lots of people coming in and looking at the case, um, trying to look at the housing angle, the environmental health angle, the trading standards angles, all of the different things that come in together. So even though there are two completely separate pieces of legislation, for example, the Estate Agents Act, Tenant Fees Act, and all the other Housing and Planning Act, all all of those things, actually the CPRs bring it all together and bring it under the umbrella of what trading standards officers do. I wanted to move on to COVID and talk about the various aspects of that in relation to property and lettings. The initial lockdown period last year, did you encounter many problems arising from from that situation right at the beginning? I think right at the very beginning of the COVID pandemic, the advice was really that nobody should be moving anywhere unless they really had to. So we did get a number of queries around the fact that did did they have to? What was the situation? Um, you know, obviously there were a number of people that, that were worried that they were going to be made homeless. And how would that extension of the tenancy occur? Uh, some people had already paid a deposit and the first month's rent for moving into somewhere, but they weren't able to move out of the, the other place. There was a lot of stuff around the checking in, the checking out, the inventory checks, all of those that weren't able to be done. So that was a difficult situation. And then moving forward, once people were allowed or estate and letting agents were allowed to go in and do virtual viewings, um, it was quite difficult. It was very challenging for those traders to work out how to do it. Um, Quite often, people were being asked to leave the property while the viewing was being taken place. But if if you're in a position where you've got nowhere to go or you're shielding, then that that wasn't easy to resolve either. And then there's also that temptation with video viewings of maybe not showing something in its in its entirety or trying to pick out the best angle of something um, we worked with the primary authorities uh, that were writing some guidance on how to conduct virtual viewings uh, one of our concerns was also that there are so many scams out there where there are properties that are displayed and they don't exist and people don't find out until after they've paid their holding deposit or the first month's deposit and they're not able to contact anybody anymore so that they can move in. Turns out it was a complete fabrication. We've had copycat websites. We've had pictures stolen off of genuine websites and virtual video viewings were another extension of those possibilities. So you could go on to an estate agent or a letting agent website have videos of different properties and actually see inside them and see around them Um, and to make sure that it was genuine then the advice was obviously start the video from the street and make sure that you show every room 
but it's very, very difficult as a prospective purchaser to get a feel for that house. Um, did they do that thing where th there's, a, there's an advert in the, isn't there where somebody is, is selling a sofa and they put a tiny person on the sofa to make the sofa look huge? Um, would you would you put a three quarter size bed in a room to make the room look huge rather than a king size bed and make it look squeezed up? It's very difficult to tell from those dimensions and from the floor plan exactly what the house is like. And until you go there, you can't smell if there's damp, you can't get a feel for what's going on. But there have been many people who have purchased properties or arranged tenancies without being able to see the property in the first place. And I know we have received a, a few complaints about things going wrong afterwards. Things like old pictures being used, um, misrepresentation is, is the main thing. All of those, again, are CPR's offences and, and would be something that trading centres would look at. Another aspect of the pandemic is the financial hardship that some people have endured. Do you encounter many difficult situations where people were unable to pay the rent, where landlords were feeling the knock-on effects of that, which was then threatening their, their income? It was very difficult for landlords during the, the, the whole period. Uh, people were being furloughed. Uh, there was difficulties with getting the housing benefit or any, any benefits uh, resolved. Some people weren't entitled to to them. Some people were just not paying the rent just because it was an excuse and, and thought they could get away with it. At the end of the day, a landlord is a business and, and they've probably got a mortgage to pay and that company, that mortgage company probably wasn't being quite as lenient. There was also a ban on evictions um, and, and all of those rules being changed made it particularly difficult for landlords to keep going. And I've seen a number of, of chats um, on social media between landlords and letting agents where they're really worried about the security of their business. And that has a knock-on effect because obviously you, you can't repossess a house that's got a sitting tenant in, you can't make people homeless. It's, it's been a particularly challenging situation for all of these businesses. And I think quite a lot of them have tried to be as, as, as sensibly to, to get as much money as they can out of the tenant. But if the tenant couldn't afford any more, then they've taken what they could. It's been a really difficult situation for those businesses who have been trying to stay afloat. Um, and I can imagine that over the next few months, we'll start seeing the repercussions of that. We'll start seeing businesses folding, and, and that will lead to um, more and more issues around people being homeless or people being worried about the security of their tenancy. There were also a number of other issues around things like repairs and the routine things, you know, the gas and electricity safety checks that go on during the lifetime of a tenancy, because there's been a number of people shielding, there's been people where the... Um, the contractors themselves have not been able to gain access to the property and, and not been able to push forwards on that, really, because people were worried about COVID. So there'll be a lot of catching up to do when, when, when people start to recover out of this. You know, the, the pandemic, pandemic rules will change. People will have a little bit more freedom. And I think um, other industries are seeing that things like construction and building materials costs have gone up. 
And I think there are so many people who are catching up with things. Also, there will be a gap where people are moving now where they weren't before. Um, they might be taking advantage of the fact that they can now work from home or that they've lost their job, they've moved somewhere else, or that they've just been waiting for the pandemic to be over to start moving on. Um, there will be some gaps in tenancies where a landlord will traditionally use that opportunity to get some work done. Um, an empty property is a perfect opportunity to, to gut a property, to do some remodeling work, any repairs that need doing. And I think that will cost landlords more because of everybody else doing the same thing. There is a shortage of building materials, they say at the moment, and things are getting very expensive. And I think this could compound that. You have mentioned there the, the rise in homeworking, which obviously will free a lot of people up to live anywhere in the country, essentially, which in turn has a knock on effect on on property prices around the country. And then, you know, that creates instability. Are you seeing much of that at the moment as we hopefully moving out of the pandemic and people, for example, are, are leaving London to move out to the countryside? Is there a sense of rush to, to make the most of, of, of the situation at the moment? I know, for example, there's a break on stamp duty if you're buying a house. So that's causing a lot of people to, to, to move quickly. I think there's been there's going to be a lot of problems that come forward when people start actually moving out of the bigger cities. Um, it, it'll create two different sets of problems, really, because you're going to have a, a new, strange market going on in the cities because obviously people will need to sell their properties in order to be able to move out to the country in the first place. Um, I, I can see that there will be some wild fluctuations in the costs of properties. I mean, everybody's talked about London in particular, but all the bigger cities where the cost of living is a lot higher than, than anywhere else in the country. Um, I think this might change what we've been calling the housing crisis. It might change the parameters of that. Things will be slightly different. I'm, I'm a home worker myself. I don't travel into work to an office every day. And I think a lot of people have seen the benefits of that. And businesses obviously see that their, their staff are a lot happier and it saves on office costs as well. So those commercial kind of buildings will also be up for grabs in the big cities in different ways. Um, so, so rural communities are starting to see that there, there are now a lot of incomers coming in. Um, th there's a lot of rural communities. I, I live in one myself where uh, there's a lot of holiday homes and that kind of thing. And I think it does push the prices up in, in those areas. So we're going to see some new maybe microclimates um, where things will change because obviously, depending on your job, whether you can fully work from home or whether you have to travel into an office maybe once or twice a week, We've also started to see a little bit of a trend of smaller spaces in the bigger cities, especially London, being let where they're not suitable for full time living, but somebody could stay overnight and then once or twice a week. So we're starting to see rises in those kind of properties as well. I think things will drastically change, but I don't think they will settle for quite a while. I think this will carry on and that it could cause lots of different problems in different ways. In terms then of your top tips, best advice to other trading standards professionals, what kind of issues do you think they should be horizon scanning for at the moment? It sounds like there's a lot of potential disruption in this in this sector. What would you say are the things to keep an eye out for in their in their local community? 
I think at the moment, what we want to look for is any kind of unusual activity. Um, our team want to know, um, as you said, horizon scanning is the important thing. We want to know as early as possible what kind of issues are starting to to rear their heads. Uh, so anything that's different um, and any kinds of complaints at all, we'd suggest that local trading standards would, would look at them in depth just to see what kind of legislation applies. And obviously they can come to our team and discuss these concerns um, because obviously somebody coming in from a, a different area, they might not know the area, they might, um, an estate agent might assume that somebody knows absolutely everything about the area. And there is a degree there of the consumer needing to do a bit of their own homework and, and to take some responsibility for the information on, on and learn about what they're buying for themselves um, but there is some scope there for some estate agents to um, possibly present something as being particularly attractive when it's not um, there's no point in remote working if there's no broadband in the area is there so it's those kind of things that people might take for granted especially if you come from a bigger city where there are these things um, you know, you, you, you got your 24 hour supermarket and your, your food deliveries and um, constant bus routes and things. I mean, th th there's a town around the corner from me where there's one bus a day. Um, somebody coming from London probably wouldn't expect that there would only be one bus a day. Um, it might not be something that they would concern, concern themselves with, but it might be something that would be a big deal to them. So um, what we'd be encouraging trading standards officers to look at is if an estate or a letting agent comes for advice, then think about the different kinds of advice and share that with us. Because if we're starting to see a trend of people asking for advice on a particular matter or something new that's coming in then what we can try and do is look to see whether there's any guidance that's needed or we can work with the industry bodies to try and get that information out there to try and help those traders through it as well because we're not just here to help the consumers are we we are here to make sure that those businesses have got all the support that they need so that they can be as 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 fruitful as possible you know good businesses are successful businesses that's what we're about in trading standards. Our team would encourage uh, local authority officers to reach out to their colleagues, whether you're a trading standards officer, a housing officer, environmental health, reach out to the other disciplines and see what you can do working together. Because quite a lot of these investigations will involve a multifaceted approach. So what we want to do is to help people along with that. Um, hopefully everybody in England will be on IDB by the end of the year and we're working really closely with all the regional intelligence and the local intelligence people to try and uh, help through that. So sharing intelligence is the most important thing that we would need this year. Um, and we want to know what you guys need from us. Let us know. We're producing webinars. We've got a knowledge hub group. We've got e-learning. We've got a lot going on within our team that means that we can offer support to local authority officers. And we've got things like videos that you can share at landlord forums and business-facing material as well, because obviously you need that advice and guidance to be able to hand out to them. So my main message is really come to us and, and speak to us and let us know what's going on. And if you're aware of any issues in the area, then tell us about it as soon as possible so that we can we can be prepared for it and we can help it as much as possible. I mean, obviously, we can't do everything for everybody.
but we will help as much as possible. And we are there for the businesses as well. So we do work with the industry bodies and the redress schemes um, just to make sure that the advice that we give is as up to date as possible. Well, that's it for another edition of Made to Measure. Thanks to Alison Farrer for speaking to us, and thank you for listening. We'll be back again soon with another episode. In the meantime, if you have any ideas or suggestions for the podcast, or you just want to get in touch, send us an email to madetomeasure at jtsmag.uk. Don't forget to like and subscribe on iTunes or wherever you're listening to us. Until next time, goodbye.